How are you guys doing this morning? For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirks, one of the associate pastors, and we're going to do uh, part three of our series on heaven today. And uh, if you haven't been here for the first uh, two weeks, I mean, we've done, so it's third parts, so we've done two parts already. And if you haven't been here for those two, uh, each one of these messages is, is building on the ones previous, so you won't, you won't uh, get the full everything that we're uh, talking about here unless you go back and listen to those. And, uh, and you can listen to all of our messages, watch all of our le- uh, messages for free. We're not trying to get extra money out of you. Uh, you can watch, but you can access any of our messages online on our website, www.myselton.com. Uh, like I said, for free, and I would recommend you do that if you have not been here for the first two. I want to say one other thing here, too, before uh, I get started, and that is, uh, of course, as I've been going through this series, I'm getting lots and lots of questions about uh, various things, because the moment you start to talk about heaven, and the Bible has so much to say about heaven, but it just, it, uh, it opens up other doors, things that you never thought about before, which opens up other questions, and so people have lots and lots of questions, and so what I'm going to do next week I'm going to, uh, this whole series is based on a paper I wrote and a course I taught at School of Ministers uh, earlier in January. And, uh, and so I'm just making some final tweaks to that paper. I'm adding a couple of sections to it yet this week. But next weekend, I'm going to make the whole paper that this series is, is built on. I'm going to make that available. And for those of you who want to go deeper, um, because in these messages, I actually don't have lots of time. It might feel like a long time when you're listening to me. But, uh, but I, don't have, I don't actually have lots of time to talk, I mean, for a lot of these points, I'm showing you one or two verses, and then I'm just moving on, when there's actually, the Bible has just tons of stuff to say, and I'm just skimming right across the top. And so I'm going to make this paper uh, available for you. I'm going to print off a bunch of copies for you next week. If you want to pick up a hard copy, we'll also put it online. And uh, like, for example, last week, I just briefly touched on the waters, right? Those of you who were here, Psalm 104, talked about how the fact that at creation there was these waters and God split the waters and put the earth in there and heaven is inside. You know, I use one verse, and some of you might have been sitting there going, I mean, are, are you stretching things just a bit? Like that was one verse. Um, there's actually uh, tons of verses in the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, which talk about the waters and which talk about heaven being within creation. And so I'm going to have a whole section on that in the paper. And so for those of you who just want to go deeper, and uh, some of the things I'm saying, you'd like to see a few more verses that'll all be in there uh, available next week, all right? Now, uh, last week we started to answer the question, what is heaven? And uh, we saw that heaven is a created place, and it exists in creation, up there somewhere in space and time. So there's time in heaven, and we looked at why that's so wonderful. Uh, this week I want to finish answering the question, what is heaven? And we're going to look at the fact that heaven is a city. And then this is going to set us up for next week. And next week I want to talk, uh, I'm not sure exactly what I'll call it, but basically the message next week will be uh, where heaven once was and what that means for our future. But you need last week and this week to get uh, next week. So that's where we're going today. Heaven is a city. Um, and now I just want to pray before we get started. I want to pray for two things that I just wanted to bring to your attention. First of all, this weekend uh, we ran our first, it, it ended already, but we ran our, our first, I just got an email from Jerry, Jerry and Dahlia, part of our dear family here at South, and I've been here for a number of years, and they have a passion for Paraguay, and uh, they feel God's calling them there. They went to Paraguay, and this weekend they ran our first self encounter in Paraguay with 80 participants. Phenomenal, okay? And God doing some awesome things. And then also at the same time we have uh, our own um, encounter going on right now. They'll be doing a session in Pinoa. So I want to pray for both of those things, and then uh, we'll get into this message on heaven is a city. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, first of all, we thank you for Jerry and Dalian. We thank you again, Lord, for the work that you're doing at this church. Who are we? Who are we, little old self in, uh, in Steinbach, Father, 
to be uh, used in the way that you're beginning to use us. And I thank you for Jerry and Daly and their heart for Paraguay. I thank you for the work you're beginning to do there through us. And it's, we're excited. Father, I pray, that you would, I pray that you would bless Jerry and Daly. I pray that you'd give them a safe trip home. I pray that you'd help them to connect with many uh, key leaders in Paraguay. And that as a church, Lord, whatever it is that you've given to us that we can help the body of Christ in Paraguay with, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to do that. And Lord, we also pray for the encounter that's going on right now here in Pinawa, Lord. Another 100 participants here from Southland. I pray for Stefan and Donovan as they're leading that, Lord. I pray that they would minister powerfully this morning. I pray that every single person, Father, who has gone on that retreat this weekend, they've, they've spent money and they've spent time to go on this retreat to get closer to you. And Father, I pray that every single one of them is going to leave that retreat having heard something important from you. Every single one of them is going to leave having been ministered to by your Holy Spirit. And every single one of them, Lord, is going to leave there having been set free in some significant way. And Father, now for the rest of us here in this building here this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, my prayer, God, is that we will begin to long to be with Jesus in heaven. That we will begin to long for Jesus in heaven. My prayer is also, Holy Spirit, that your word would begin to come alive to us. There's so much we've been missing over the years because of the assumptions we have. Lord, I pray that we would fall in love with your word, that we would fall in love with Jesus, and that we'd begin to long for heaven. In your name I pray, amen. What is heaven? Heaven is a city. I mean, I've been grinding into you already the last two weeks, over and over and over again, that heaven is a physical place. And hopefully by now, the fact that you're still here means that you're probably tracking with me mostly. You haven't left in a huff. And so you're with me on the fact that the Bible is very clear that heaven is a created physical place. It is not some spiritual alien dimension out there somewhere. Uh, completely separate from our world, but it is a physical place, okay? Um, but even then, as so I've been pounding away at that message now for the last couple of weeks, um, but even then, as I say that, I know that many of us still don't have a clear picture in our minds. What should we picture? Hebrews tells us, and I'm going to show you a passage in just a moment, over and over again, the book of Hebrews tells us that we need to look forward to heaven because there's something that happens when you begin to long to go to heaven, to be with Jesus for eternity, it changes your life right now so that you have more faith and that you have more love right now. But in order to look forward to going somewhere, you have to have some kind of an idea of the place that you're going. Some kind of a picture in your mind of the place that you're longing to go. And so, yes, I think we've all gotten this fact now that it is a physical place. But even if that, we just stop there, what kind of a physical place are we supposed to be imagining? And most of us, when we think of heaven, we think of a realm. It's a realm. It's really big. It doesn't really have boundaries. Maybe it goes on infinitely forever and ever. We don't have a clear picture of what we should be picturing. But the Bible is very clear, and I'm going to show you just five scriptures, but I could show you many. And we're going to, by the way, we're going to go through lots and lots and lots and lots of Bible today, okay? So if you don't like the Bible, you should leave right now because I'm going to read lots of it to you, okay? Maybe don't do it right now. It's a little embarrassing. Wait a couple minutes and then go as if you have to go to the bathroom or something. But I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you, okay? But heaven is very clear, or the Bible is very clear that heaven is not some realm. It's not some huge, infinite, going on and on and on forever realm with many, many cities in, inside of it. Heaven is a city. From now on, after this message, for the rest of your life, whenever you read the Bible, you will understand, and whenever you hear the word heaven, you will associate heaven equals a city. That's what heaven is. It's not more than that. It's not less than that. Heaven is one city. It's a magnificent city, as you'll see at the end of this message, but it is a city. Let's look at a few passages. Hebrews 13, verse 14 says this, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
We seek the city. Again, Hebrews, very, very clear that we are seeking, we are looking forward to not some vast realm made up of different cities or made up of goodness knows what, but we are looking forward to the city. Heaven is a city, okay? Another passage here. Um, By faith, we looked at this passage last week. We'll look at it a couple times tonight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For Now, why did he do all this? Why did he move away from his home in Ur of the Chaldees, which, is a, which was a, a wonderful city in its own right in those times? Why did he move away and just live in tents all of his life as a stranger in a strange land? For, in other words, because, this is why he did all of that, he was looking forward to a vague realm somewhere? No. For, because he did all of these things of faith, because he was looking forward to the city. The city. That has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You know what's interesting to me? Abraham had a better picture of heaven 4,000 years ago than we do today, and we've got the Bible. Abraham didn't have a Bible. Nothing. It was, I mean, it's 500 years after Abraham that Moses writes the first books of the Old Testament, the books of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. He's, Abraham is 2,000 years ago from the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 21, which describes to us the new Jerusalem. So he didn't even have his Bible, yet Abraham lived a great life of faith because he had a very clear picture in his mind. I am one day, if I follow God like this here, I'm one day going to get to live in this amazing city. And yet today, modern Christians in Western civilization, we've got the whole Bible here. We've got all kinds of Bible programs and all kinds of Bible teaching. And you ask most Christians today, what is heaven? And very few of them will tell you that it's a city. They have a picture in their mind of some vague spiritual realm. Abraham was looking forward to the city. Now, when did Abraham get this idea into his head that heaven is a city? Um, We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some ancient Jewish writings tell us that, uh, gen- the, uh, that Genesis 15, again, this is in Scripture, so we can't know for sure, but tell us that Genesis 15, which is the, the story of Abraham and God making a covenant, and Abraham cuts a few animals in half, and then he goes into a trance, and God passes between the halves of the, an- of the animals. There's some Jewish writings that say that it was at that time when Abraham was in a trance that God showed him the heavenly city. Okay, so I don't know if that's 100% true, okay? We don't know if that's not scripture. But whatever it is, at some point in his life, God gave Abraham a vision. This is where you're going to live someday if you follow me. And that vision was so compelling that Abraham left everything he knew behind and went and lived a life of faith because he was looking forward to that city. It's a very compelling city. I told you I'd read you lots of Bible. Just a few verses later, the author, author of Hebrews says this, just a few verses after this passage here. Uh, verse 16, but as it is, they, so now he includes more than just Abraham, it's the people of faith, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, what, a vague realm? No. He has prepared for them a city. For the rest of your life, heaven is a city. It's not a realm, it's a city. Heaven is a city. That's what it is. Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, we'll come back to this one several times today, but you have come when you get saved. The moment you get saved, you have, in a sense, already come to heaven. Now, you're not physically there yet, 
But you're there in the sense that your name gets enrolled there, and if you continue to pursue Jesus until the end, and you endure to the end, so that your name doesn't get blotted out, you will end up there. So in a sense, you have already come. Your name is already there. But you have come to Mount Zion and to what? The city of the living God. God lives in a city, the city of the living God. He right now is not living in some realm. He's living in a real physical city. The heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I want to look at one more passage. We're going to look at the famous passage, Revelation 21. But before I go there, I just want to rabbit trail just briefly here. Um, There is this idea, which I addressed last week. Some people have this idea, like when we get to heaven, all we're going to do forever and ever and ever, every second of every moment for all eternity, is we're going to be in the temple and we're going to worship God. Okay? And I could show you many, many scriptures. I already showed you some last week. That there is much more to heaven than just singing. We will sing. There will be periods of singing, but there will be many periods of not singing, of working and learning, all that sort of stuff. But I just want to show you, but I just, there's another proof right here. The fact that heaven is a city proves that there's more to heaven than just singing. If all we were going to do in heaven was just sing in the temple and never leave the temple, there wouldn't be a city in heaven. There would just be a temple. Why would heaven have all these empty buildings if all we're ever going to do is just stand in the temple and worship God? It's a city. It's a functioning place. There's an economy there. Things, different things are happening. Architecture, engineering, hard work, learning, playing. Different things are happening. That's why you have a city. Otherwise, it would just be the temple in heaven, the one big massive singing room in heaven, and we'll spend 24-7 there for the rest of eternity. Not true. It's a city. And so there's a fullness of life there. And we will worship God in more ways than just singing. Will we worship God all the time? You bet. But guess what? This is a Greek idea that worshiping God is just here on a Sunday morning like this. We worship God with our work too. Did you know that? Or you can worship him with your work. Not all of us do it. And it will be the same in heaven. We will worship him in many different ways, not just with singing. It's a city. And a city encompasses many different arenas of life. Different buildings, different places for different activities. Physical place. Well, let's go to... Revelation 21, and I'm going to read you a whole huge chunk here of this chapter, and I just want you to get it into your head by the Holy Spirit as you read God's Word that heaven is a city with clearly defined boundaries and measurements. It doesn't go on and on forever and ever and infinitely. It's a real city. 21 verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven, so John seen a vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. By the way, a lot of people think that there's no oceans on the earth after heaven comes down. That's not what it says here. It does not say in the seas were no more. It doesn't say all the oceans are gone. It says the sea. Most likely this is talking about the Mediterranean Sea. And later I'm going to show you, when you see how big the heavenly city is, when it comes down to earth over where, the, the, over where Jerusalem is right now, it will blot out most of what is now, or much of what is now the Mediterranean Sea. And so I believe what's happening here is the Mediterranean Sea is no more. He's not saying there's no more oceans, okay? God made the oceans, at, in the beginning, he made the oceans and he said, it is very good, okay? So anyway, and the sea was no more. Oh, I'm lost already. Where am I? Mm-hmm. 
And I saw the holy city. There it is. He does not see a realm. He sees a city. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Stop there for just a moment as well. If you're new here to Southland or you're visiting here today, and you weren't here for our first series on heaven about four years ago, um, this is a really important point about heaven. Your destiny is not to, to spend eternity away from earth in a place called heaven. Okay? That God made earth and he loves earth. It was very good. That's what he says in Genesis 1. And he made you to be a physical person living on this physical earth. And he loves that combination of you and I being on earth. Your destiny and my destiny is not to leave earth and live in heaven forever and ever. Our destiny is heaven coming down to earth. I mean, it's just in the Bible. I'm not making that up. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God onto the earth. Our destiny, we will spend all of eternity here on this planet. Now some of you go, oh... I don't really like that because you don't like your life here right now. Remember, sin and death will be gone. Okay? But if you, don't, if you just don't like earth, period, and you don't like physicality and all that other sort of stuff, then you have a problem because that's eternity. Okay? And God's going to have to change your mind. Anyway, I'll keep going. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, that's heaven, is with man, and he will dwell with them. Notice again, we're not leaving forever. He's coming here. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Skipping ahead to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the what? The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And the wall of the what? City had 12 foundations. And notice again that the heaven does not go on forever and ever. It has clear boundaries. It has walls. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four squares, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is in the lamp. I hope you're going to have this in your head. You're just going to leave here today and be, the city, the city. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So the throne room of God, we all, we all believe in the throne room of God. We all know that God is sitting on a throne right now at this very moment, and Jesus is sitting at his right hand. Remember, Jesus is a physical being, and the throne room of God is a physical place. This is not some spiritual alien dimension. When the Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, it means he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a real place. It's a real throne. And I want you to notice here that that throne is not in some vague spiritual realm. It is in the city. So you've got this river of life right now. This, is, this is, exists somewhere. You've got this throne room. God actually exists. He's on his throne. Jesus is at his right hand. Oh, I guess this is my right. And, uh, and you've got this river of life. It's bubbling out from underneath the throne. It flows down the front steps of the throne. And then it flows out of the temple. So, I mean, the architecture will be spectacular. I look so look forward to seeing it someday. But somehow they'll have a channel cut for this river to flow, you know, through the, through the temple. And then it'll come out the front of the temple and through the middle of the street of the city. Just like any city, this city has streets. Physical city. It's got a main street. You say, well, what, what, what's this going to look like? Of course... I mean, we can't even fathom it. We can't even begin to fathom what, how, how amazing this is going to be. But it, it, has this, it has a main street. It has some kind of a big street coming up to the temple where the throne of God is. And, and the river of life flows out of that temple through the middle of the street. So I imagine it, you know, some of these spectacular main streets you see around the world. You know, you've got 
So here is the temple, this massive temple complex. God is here. You've got this main street coming right up, right up to the very entrance. Maybe it goes around to the back, but comes right up to the front. And, and then you've got this boulevard down the middle, and you've got a whole bunch of lanes going one way and a whole bunch of lanes coming the other way, and you've got the river of life flowing right down the boulevard, right through the middle of the street, okay? Now, I want to help you picture this because our picture of heaven, again, is so pathetic. I'm trying to help you, okay? So I'm going to show you. The, heaven is way better than this, okay? <laughs> way better than this, all right? Um, but I'm trying to help you picture, okay? This is a very famous main street, and I butchered the name of it. It's Spanish. So a Spanish lady helped me this morning, and I'm, so I'm going to butcher it again, but differently. Uh, it, this is called Plaza de la República in Buenos Aires in, in Argentina, okay? So I just butchered it again. But this is a famous main street in the world, okay? Buenos Aires. You'll notice uh, you got 10 lanes of traffic going one way. you got 10 lanes of traffic going the other way. It's huge. Now, what, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this central area here with the big obelisk, just, you know, pff, that's gone, and, and make it about 20 or 50 times bigger. I don't know. Make it a lot bigger, and then fill that with a massive temple complex. So you've got this massive temple complex sitting there, and then you've got this, this main street coming right up to the entrance and around, okay? And the temple is the center of it all. God's throne room is the center of it all. And then you've got water flowing out of that temple, down the front steps, and then out, and then you'll notice there's boulevards on this main street, right? You've got one boulevard right down the center, and then further out, you've got two more boulevards, four lanes from the outside. And, and so again, now everything in heaven is going to be, you know, a hundred times more spectacular than this, for sure, for sure, okay? So, you know, make it bigger, make twice the lanes, uh, better boulevards, bigger, taller buildings. It's, it's going to be better, for sure, for sure. But you can kind of begin to get a picture. This is what Revelation 21 is talking about. Now, I know that this isn't anywhere near what heaven's going to be like, but I'll tell you, this picture is way more like heaven than what most of you have been thinking about for most of your lives. You've been thinking of heaven as this fairy godmother place, spiritual realm out there. It's a city, much more like this than what you've been picturing. And the river of life, you'll have this boulevard flowing right down the middle of this huge street coming up to the temple, and you'll have this river of life. And I imagine there'll be trees and flowers and bushes and everything. It'll be spectacular. Okay? Spectacular. All right, let's move to the next point. I believe you now know that heaven is a city. Okay? So next point. Let's talk about what kind of a city. Heaven is an ancient city. I, I just need to take some time and, and do this. Um, we have, we've got a bit of a wrong picture of heaven. One of the things we think about is because John calls it the New Jerusalem twice. It's only called, the heavenly city is only called the New Jerusalem twice in Revelation 3 and in Revelation 21. But a lot of us, we read that word new and it throws us off. Because we think, well, then what John is seeing is there's going to be God right now you know, he must be living in this one place called heaven, and then he's building, or in the future, he's going to build this place called the New Jerusalem, and then he's going to move in, and we'll move in. It'll be a brand spanking new city, and it's called the New Jerusalem, and it's new, okay? That is not what John's talking about here. The heavenly city, God is living there right now. It's not something he's building right now. I mean, they might be adding things for believers and stuff as you, as you store up rewards, Jesus, that I go to prepare a place for you. I'm not saying God isn't doing anything to the heavenly city right now. But he's already living there, and he's been living there ever since the beginning of creation, okay? The reason John calls it new is not because it's new. It's the oldest city in the universe, but it's new to us because all we know is this old world. 
We just know this old world, and we know death and suffering and pain, and we know the old Jerusalem that sits in the state of Israel right now. So when this one comes down, it's new to us, and it also signifies a new beginning. Once this one comes down to earth, there's no more death, pain, sorrow, any of those things. So in that sense, it's the new Jerusalem, but it's not new in that God is, it's different from heaven. Heaven is ancient, and then he's building new Jerusalem. This is the city talked about in Hebrews. Let me prove, prove it to you, okay? I love it that you guys demand proof for me. And so I'll try and rise to the challenge here. Galatians 4.26. So the Apostle Paul, writing 2,000 years ago, wrote the following. But the Jerusalem above. Just, okay. Where is Jerusalem? Above. Why, why is it above? It's up there somewhere. Okay. Some of you are still having a hard time co- comprehending this. This is Paul writing. The Jerusalem above. There is a Jerusalem up there. A heavenly city is up there right now. The Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Now, this statement is made in the context, Paul is comparing the Old and New Covenants, and I don't want to get into all that. I just, this statement, because it, it doesn't pertain to this message, this statement is all I wanted to pull out here, and it's a very important statement because Paul's writing 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years ago, he said in his day, present tense, there was a Jerusalem above, and it was already in existence. The Jerusalem above is free, she is our mother. So the New Jerusalem isn't new, it's only new to us. It's an ancient city that exists right now and has for thousands of years. Okay, let me show you another verse here. Go back to Hebrews again a couple of times. Hebrews 11, verse 10 and 16. For he, that's Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has, okay, already, not in the future. He was looking forward to the city that has, right now, already, in the past, when Hebrews was written, when Abraham was alive. The city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. But as it is, they, again, the Old Testament saints, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has. He's not something he's doing in the future. The new Jerusalem already exists. It already has existed for thousands of years, but it will be new to us. It'll be amazing. And lastly, I want to go back to Hebrews 12, 22 again. But you have come. Past tense. You have come. If you are following Christ right now, and again, Jesus says in Revelation, I mean, if you, if you turn away from the path, he can blot your name out. But if you are following Jesus right now, your name already is in this real city called the New Jerusalem. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. So this city already exists and it has existed for thousands of years. Now, I want to rabbit trail here for just a second because there's a question I keep getting and it's answered in this passage. And one of the questions I've been getting a lot during this message series is people are wondering, okay, heaven is a physical city. It's a physical city. We get that, Chris. So what happens to Christian souls before we get resurrected? Like what happens? Some of you, maybe you had a loved one, a, a parent passed away who loved Jesus. And you say, well, what happens to their soul in the meantime? I mean, if their soul is non-physical and heaven is a physical place, um, where does the soul go? And so a lot of you have been asking this question, where do Christians go after they die? In the in-between place as we're waiting for the resurrection of our physical bodies, okay? And, uh, and again, a lot of people have theories about there's an in-between holding tank, a place uh, where, you know, souls go and then in the end will go to heaven. And so what I want to tell you right here, right now, is that there is no holding tank for souls. There's no in-between place for souls when it comes to believers and Christians. Because it says right here, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. That's the heavenly city. It's a physical place. And look at the bottom. Who else is there? And to the spirits, bottom line, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Okay? The souls of dead believers go to this place now. They don't go to an in-between place. They are in heaven right now. 
okay? Now, next week, I'm going to have a whole point about paradise, okay? I want to show you some really amazing stuff about paradise, okay? So I'm going to do a whole point. But for now, I just want to prove to you that the souls of dead Christians go straight to heaven. I'll show you another verse right here, uh, Revelation 6, verse 9. In Revelation chapter 4, John gets taken up into heaven and he sees a vision of heaven. And in the, over the next bunch of chapters, he's seen things happening in heaven. Look what he sees in Revelation 6, in heaven. When he opened the fifth seal, I, John, saw under the altar the what? The souls. He's in heaven, and he's seeing souls. Not re- they don't have, they're not resurrected yet. The tribulation is still going on. There hasn't been a resurrection. The passage is very clear. These are souls. I, John, saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So John clearly sees souls under the altar in the temple of God in heaven. Okay? So now the question some of you are wondering is, how can a non-physical soul be in a physical place? Okay? And so there's two things I want to say to that. First of all, you assume that your soul and my soul is completely non-physical. I will come back to that. I'll prove to you from Scripture that it's not. But there's a second thing I want to say that's really important for this message series, and that is this. We don't understand everything about heaven. This is really important. And I'm going to come back and I'll give you a bit of an answer to the soul thing, but it's really important that you first understand there's lots we don't understand about heaven, and we never will until we're there. See, because some of you, and I've been wanting to say this for a couple of weeks already, I was just looking for a place to say it. Some of you might be getting this idea, as I've been talking about heaven, heaven is a physical place. Heaven is a physical place. It's created. It's a wonderful, physical, earthy, amazing place. Some of you might be getting the idea, though, as I'm talking about this, that, hey, in that case, we understand everything about heaven. As long as it was an alien spiritual world, we didn't even try to understand it. We just figured, you can't understand it. But now, as I'm showing you that it's a real place, now you might be starting to get this impression, like, well, then we understand heaven. It's just like the world we see around us. False. It is similar to this world that we're in right now in the physicality of it. But this world is completely corrupted and poisoned by what? Sin and death. So, uh, I mean, if God, had, if, we just, if I just arbitrarily, you know, pick a line here, let's say when God first made creation before sin and death, he made creation with a certain level of potential for awesomeness. I'll just call it that, okay? For lack of, I don't know what else to say. So he made creation, there's no sin and no death, and it's made with a certain level of potential for awesomeness, okay? Now, you introduce sin and death into this world, and whew, we're living down here. Highly poisoned, highly corrupted, Okay? So here we are living in this physical world. We're not even close to the potential of what God made it for. Not even close. And our sin-corrupted minds, when we're down here, there's lots in this gap. We can't even fathom what a world without sin and death is like. We can't fathom it. I mean, let me, let me just scratch the surface of this for you just a little bit to see how much sin and death have corrupted the world we're in. It has corrupted it, okay? Think about it. Shortly after the fall... How long were human beings living? 900 to almost 1,000 years. Think about that. 900 to almost 1,000 years. Okay? Now, a few thousand years later, after a few thousand years of exposure to sin and death, our human bodies can barely make it 70 or 80. Barely. 70 or 80, at the beginning, 900 to almost 1,000. Okay? Those bodies at the beginning, they were like superhumans compared to us. Much healthier much stronger, much smarter, probably, much everything else, living 900 plus years. What kind of a body did God make? And those ones were even corrupted by sin. They just hadn't had as long an exposure. 
Imagine what a human body completely untouched by sin, the potential there in your mind, in your experience of life, in your health. And in our frail, weak little 70 or 80-year-old temporary bodies, we, there is so much about this world that we are just way down here to what God actually made it to be. And so even as I'm talking in this series about heaven, and heaven is a physical place, heaven is a wonderful place, yes, it is physical, it is wonderful, but you have to remember that it's still going to be far better than anything we can imagine. Now we need to have a picture in our hearts that we can begin to long for, but even as we long for that place, we must understand that it's going to far exceed. And there's going to be many things about heaven we can't totally grasp. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, I said that. Good, you got it. Now let me prove to you, though, that your assumption that the soul is completely non-physical, let me prove to you that it's false. Okay? Next verse. The Bible actually describes what souls are like. And they aren't ghosts. They aren't ghosts. They have some kind... I don't understand it. Again, I just told you we don't understand everything about heaven. But these souls, they don't have their physically resurrected bodies yet. Okay? So they are in an in-between stage, and yet they aren't immaterial ghosts. Look at this. They, the souls of the martyrs, cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Okay? Now just two things I want you to notice here about souls. First of all, these souls cry out with a loud voice. They can make sound. You're not blown away yet. Think about that. Can an immaterial ghost make a sound? Not a chance. Do you know what sound is? Okay? Let me give you a quick science lesson. Here's sound. Okay? You make a vibration, your vocal cords kind of do this, okay? You make a vibration with your vocal cords. It makes a vibration in the air. The molecules are vibrating like this. It goes through the air, hits your ear, sound, okay? You have to have physical vocal cords to vibrate air to make sound. If you don't have vocal cords, if you don't have something physically vibrating, you don't have physically vibrating molecules for sound. You don't. And it's all well and good for us to say, um, you know, well, they're just ghosts. Well, how do they make sound? Well, I don't know. See, I'm not, I keep telling you in this series, I'm not the weird one, okay? <laughs> you guys in your weird picture of heaven, that's the weird. <laughs> that a non-physical being could somehow vibrate the air and make sound, that's weird. One plus one is two. They cried out with a loud voice. They're physical enough to cry out and make a sound. Second thing I want you to notice, then they were each given a white robe. How does an immaterial ghost wear a white robe? It can't. If you had no physicality to you and God gave you a white robe, this is what would happen. He'd put it on you and it would go right through you. And you'd have all these ghosts trying to pick it up and their hand would just keep going through it. I can't get it. can't get it. They can wear a robe. They can make a sound. They don't have their physical bodies yet, but they have some kind of physicality in heaven. There's no question about it. Do I understand it? No. So let's move on, Okay. But there you have it. You have an answer. All right? Now, that was a massive rabbit trail. Let's go back to Hebrews 12, 22 to 23. I just want to finish up this point now. And heaven is an ancient city. And then we get into some fun stuff. Heaven is an ancient city. I want to go back here. Hebrews 12, 22 to 23. Very important passage because it does something for us. The Bible talks lots about heaven. Talks lots about the heavenly city all throughout Old Testament, New Testament. Okay? And it uses different names for it, though. 
And some of you might still be sitting there this morning, you might still be a little skeptical, because you might think to yourself, heaven might be a different place than the New Jerusalem. And this passage proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that all these different names for heaven are the same one place. Because the context of this passage, clearly, you can look at any commentary, look at any preacher, this passage is talking about one place. It's one place. And you can read all of Hebrews chapter 12 this week, and you can find out for yourself, it's talking about one place. But it links different names for that place, so that we see that they're all talking about the same thing. It links the city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem, and then look at in that second line from the bottom, the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Heaven, the city of the living God, and heavenly Jerusalem are three different names for one place. Heaven is a city. Heaven is a city, and it's an ancient city. It's the same city God has lived in. In the beginning, he created the earth, And when he had materials, Psalm 104, he took the beams off of that earth and he built himself a dwelling place with its roof in the primordial creation waters. And more of that will be in the paper for next week. All right, next point. Heaven is a city. Heaven is an ancient city. Third point. Heaven is a mountain city, not a cube. Okay? Heaven is a mountain city, not a cube. Many Christians have mistakenly imagined the heavenly city to be a cube because of the Apostle John's statement that the length, width, and height of the heavenly city are the same. Let's look at this. Uh, Revelation 21 again. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, which is about 1,400 to 1,500 miles. And I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Its length and width and height are equal. Now, a lot of Christians have taken this length, width, and height are equal. Well, a cube has an equal length, width, and height, right? That's a cube, um, or it could be a cube. And so they say that it's a cube. Now, it's exactly sloppy thinking like that that has made a lot of Christians not want to go to heaven, okay? So here's some artists' renderings of what they think the heavenly Jerusalem would be like, okay? And let's just be honest here. It's hideous, okay? Is any of you inspired to go and live in that thing? 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Can you imagine if you're in the center, here's this thing like this, and you're in the middle here, you won't breathe a breath of fresh air for years, okay? You've got tunnel, it's tunnel. It's like something out of Star Trek, science fiction. You've got tunnels and elevators and moving all around the inside of this cube. How would God light up that city? It says he's so bright. How does his light go throughout all the tunnels and hallways? It doesn't make sense. Okay? Heaven is not a cube. Okay? Let's go back to the passage. Okay? It says its length and width and height are the same. There's more shapes that can have equal length, width, height than just a cube. For example, a pyramid. Now, heaven is not a pyramid, but a pyramid is the closest we get because here's why. Heaven is on a mountain. It is on a mountain. It is more like a pyramid shape than a cube. It is on a a mountain. This is a huge, and again, some of you go, oh, really? Yeah, it's amazing to me. That's what I said, too, when I was first learning this over the last couple years. Heaven is on a mountain? And then you actually just start to read the Bible, and it's actually a massive theme in Scripture. There are literally dozens and dozens of passages in here that clearly say God's city is on a mountain. I'm just going to show you five, but there are many, 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 many. This is a huge thing. From now on, you hear heaven, you see city. On a mountain. Here, let me show you some. Psalm 87.13. By the way, the Psalms especially will come alive to you when you realize that heaven is a, is a mountain city. 
come alive. The Psalms talk about it all the time. Here's one. Psalm 87, 1 to 3. On, on the holy mount stands the what? City. He found it. Which city did God found? Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. Abraham was looking forward to the what? The city whose builder and founder was who? God. There's only one city whose builder and founder was God. It's the heavenly city. Psalm 87, 1 to 3 says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. God's city is on a mountain. Heaven is a mountain city. That's what heaven is. Heaven equals mountain city. It's not more than that. It's not less than that. It shall come to pass in the latter days, that's after Jesus returns, let's go to Isaiah 2, 2 to 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days, after Jesus returns, that the mountain of the house of the Lord, God's house is on a mountain. And by the way, if scripture has something in there over and over and over and over again, it means it's important. It's like an exclamation mark. God says, my house is on a mountain. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of, of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. So in the end, God, the city, this mountain city is going to come down to earth and all the nations are going to flow to this mountain for worship and to hear the law and all that stuff. It's going to be amazing. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, look at God's house on a mountain, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a mountain. Okay? I want to notice one other thing here. I just, I just have to do something like this. A lot of people today, a lot of Christians are, today are saying that the law has been canceled. That's kind of weird because then it's back when God comes back to earth. The law is not canceled. In the end, God speaks the law to us all from his mountain. And we will love his laws. He will write his laws on our hearts and we will obey them. And we will love to listen to God's laws forever and ever. Awesome. I'm passionate about that. Anyway, another passage here. Back to Hebrews 12, 22 to 23. But you have come to what? Mount Zion. And I didn't underline it before because I didn't want to talk about the mountain yet. Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Mount Zion and the city of the living God. Again, the context is it's the same place. And some of you might say, well, but it says and in there. So maybe Mount Zion and the city of the living God are two separate places. First of all, you won't be able to make sense of this passage if they're two separate places. But second of all, it's not saying that they're two separate places. It's kind of like this. Imagine if a foreigner flies into Winnipeg and they come through customs. And one of the things that the customs agent might say to them is, welcome to Canada. Oh, thank you. Welcome to Canada. And he gets in a taxi as he leaves the airport, and for sure he's going to see a sign that says, Welcome to Winnipeg. Has he come to two different places? Is he in two places at once? No. Winnipeg is in Canada. The city of the living God is on Mount Zion. It's not two separate places. It's the same place. The city of the living God is on Mount Zion. Let me show you one last passage. And again, we could look at many, many. You could do a study. We could do a whole study on the mountain of God in Scripture. And it's awesome. Zechariah 8 verse 3 says this, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. It says after God comes down to earth, right? And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the what? And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, when it comes down to earth, it will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts. Why? Because heaven is a mountain city. So when John saw this This city that has equal length, width, and height coming down out of heaven, he was seeing a gigantic 
mountain, city coming down to earth. Very, very important. All right, last point, okay? Heaven is a city. Heaven is an ancient city. Heaven is a mountain city. Last of all, heaven is a huge city. It's a huge, huge city. Revelation 21, 15 to 18. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, that's 1,400 to 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, that's 210 to 240 feet by, and I, by, and I just have to know, this is neat. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now, this is one of those little lines that God puts into the Bible. It's just cool, Okay. It's like John saying, Psst, this is really neat, okay? Because he could just say, I mean, the only information there technically we need is, he also measured the wall and it was 144 cubits. Great, it's 144 cubits. But then he goes and gives us Psst, extra information. He says, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now, isn't that wild? I love stuff like this, Okay. Um, what is a cubit? Let me, just for, let me give you a little history lesson on cubit. Cubit, the word cubit means elbow, okay? And so, and cubit is, in ancient times, it's one of the oldest measurements in use by human civilization. It goes back at least to 3000 BC. So people were using the, the cubit measurement, um, you know, 5,000 years ago for sure, possibly earlier. And so, and, and the reason is this, it was just an easy measurement. In the days before the Stanley tape measure, and, you know, laser, uh, you know, measuring devices, people had forearms, just like we'd have now, okay? <laughs> and so, kind of a convenient measuring tool then, if you didn't have a tape measure, was you just put your forearm down and see how many spans, how many cubits something is. So you'd have guys kind of measuring a wall and measuring things, and how many cubits. And a cubit was from here to here, okay? And, uh, and now, of course, that could lead to confusion on a job site, since different people have different cubits, Okay? So what they would do is on a job site then is they would standardize it. The foreman would have a cubit and they would cut a bunch of sticks and reeds to his length and then that would be the standardized cubit for that job site. Over the centuries, nations developed their own standardized cubits. Okay? And so each nation would have its own cubit. So the Romans had a cubit, their own standardized cubit, and the Egyptians had a cubit, and the Israelites had a cubit. And, uh, and, and each one of them was slightly different, but they were all basically the same because we're all human beings, so it's pretty close from, from country to country. Uh, all the cubits ended up being somewhere around a foot and a half to 20 inches, okay? And, uh, and so, but anyway, so this wall is 144 cubits um, by human measurement. Again, now that, it's just a weird way of saying something, right? Because, I don't know, I mean, someone asks you, how big is your house? Well, it's a thousand square feet by human measurement. You go, What? <laughs> Go cut me a six-foot length of two-by-four by human measurement. And they're like, what? Right? So, I mean, he says it's 144 cubits by human measurement, so it's, it's 144 spans. You can stack up, you know, 144 of these, and that's how tall this wall is, okay? And then he says, but then this is the part that just blows my mind, which is also an angel's measurement. So why does he put that in there? I mean, it means, and it's just so cool. So, I mean, it means it's one of two things. Either... Well, first of all, angels are physical beings and they're measuring things up in heaven. So they have their own cubit, okay? And so either this means, and I've been telling you that angels are physical beings, okay? Again, these are not spiritual, wispy things. They're physical, okay? 
So they have cubits and they measure things. But anyway, this either means that their cubit, they either copied us and said, boy, I like their cubit, and then they made their own. (laughs) Or it means that an angel's body is very similar to a human being's because their span is the same. Now, of course, I understand. So I don't know which one it is. But either way, you know, angels are measuring stuff up there. But, and I get that some angelic beings, there are different kinds. And I, I would love to do a whole uh, message just on angels. The Bible has lots to say about angels. There's different kinds of beings. And some of them definitely are huge. But I certainly wonder, and there's other things in Scripture that make me wonder too, but I wonder if the vast ranks of angels, the word angel just means messenger. I wonder if the vast ranks of common angels are actually very similar in size to human beings. And this passage would make sense in light of that. And I just find it fascinating that John is telling us it's the same as an angel's measurement. But anyway. Wow, that was really big. Okay, let's just keep going here. The wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold, clear glass. Okay, this is a huge city. Okay, huge, huge city. Let me help you grasp that. Okay, let's start with the wall. Okay, 144 cubits. Depending on which cubit was used, it's 210 to 240 feet. Um, that's 21, that's like the equivalent of a 21 to a 24-story building. Okay, the, the, I think the tallest building we have right now in Steinbeck is about six stories. So imagine some of our six-story apartment blocks. You take three and a half or four of those, okay? So now you stack them one on top of the other. So you've got an apartment block, you're standing at the base, it goes way up. And then you put another one and another one and half of another one. And that is just a wall. It doesn't have balconies and windows breaking it up. It's just a wall. It's very imposing. You stand there and you look 210 to 240 feet up. This is a huge wall, okay? But then the thing you have to remember is as you're standing next to this wall that goes up 240 feet, just this unbroken wall, this imposing wall, you have to remember as you look to your right, this thing goes 1,500 miles along one side. You look to your right and this wall goes far farther than you can see. It just disappears in the distance and you turn to your left and it does the same thing that way. And the whole way it's 210 to 240 feet high. This is a very imposing wall. Okay? You're not, I can see that some of you aren't quite blown away yet. Let's imagine that you run a highway along this thing. Okay? So you've got a little strip of grass right here and then you've got this wall. Okay? And then you've got a highway running all along it. And you decide one day, I just want to drive this whole wall and, and just to drive it. So you get in your car and you start driving. At 100 kilometers an hour, you set the cruise and there's a strip of grass right here and then here's your car here. You've got your arm out the window. It's a nice summer day and you've got 210, 240 feet right beside you, this imposing wall. You start driving and if you never stop for gas or food or the bathroom, you clearly don't have kids with you, Okay. <laughs> Don't try this with kids. Horrible idea. But anyway, so you start driving. 100 clicks, you set the cruise. You will drive for 25 hours straight, and, and you never stop. I mean, you have a serious crick in your neck by now. Your back, your butt, everything is hurting real bad, okay? You're in this thing, and the whole way you're driving, you've got this wall, 210, 240 feet, on your left side right there, Okay? The whole way you drive, that wall is there the entire time. And of course, you would have to stop. You would have to take a break. You would have to take a rest. It would take you two days of driving, and that wall would be right there the entire time. This is an unbelievably massive place. It's huge. I I posed a a square, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, on top of a map of North America just to show you this city would take up a little bit of space. And... um, that's 1,500 miles. It's a little bit fuzzy. I apologize. This would be the base of the holy city, okay? Now, uh, again, when this thing lands on the earth, by the way, I have a feeling the whole earth is going to just shake a little bit, okay? But this is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, okay? Uh, it's a little bit fuzzy, but it goes on the east. If it came down right there on this map, 
it would go from almost Thunder Bay in the east to just past Vancouver into the Pacific Ocean there on the west. And it would go from just north of Calgary to below San Diego and Phoenix in the south. This is a huge city. And that is one continuous city. You don't have, you know, grazing land. And, and I mean, think of what's covered. Think of what's covered by that square there. I mean, that, day, that square is covering thousands of cities and towns and villages. It is covering tens of thousands of acres and square miles of farmland. It's covering desert. It's got mountain chains in there, rivers and lakes. You've got like half a dozen different climate zones covered by that square there in North America. And this is one continuous city, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, okay? It's huge. Let me help you uh, see it from maybe a a different perspective yet a little bit again. Um, If you think about New York City and Central Park, okay? Central Park is, is, kinda, is one of the most famous parks in the world. I mean, I've never been in New York City, uh, and I know some of you have, and, and you think you're so great because of that. Well, I look, this city's going to blow New York City out of the water, so I don't even need to go to New York City. But if you're offering, yeah. Um, but this city's going to blow New York City out of the water. But New York City has a famous park, Central Park. We've all heard of it. We all know about it, even if you haven't been there, and I haven't been there, okay? But I did some research on Central Park. Okay, Central Park is 843 acres, okay? That's a huge park in the middle of New York City. Beautiful, okay? 843 acres. They have 24,000 trees in Central Park. It's a mini forest, okay? And, and I don't envy the guy who counts that, but it's 24,000. They have 9,000 park benches, and about 104,000 people go through Central Park every day on average, okay? Millions, millions uh, every year, okay? So that's Central Park. Now, I, I did a little comparison. So I said, okay, 843 acres, that's a big park. What percentage of the size of New York City does Central Park occupy? And 843 acres is exactly 1 230th of the size of New York City. 1 230th, okay? So then I, I said, okay, well, a similar size park. If the Heavenly City had a Central Park, and by the way, it does, and I will talk about it next week. It's not called Central Park, but anyway. But the Heavenly City does have some amazing parks, and it's got one in particular that's incredible. We'll talk about it next week. But I was just, for purpose of imagining, okay, if, if the Heavenly City had a similar size park as Central Park, which took up one 230th of its size, like Central Park does in New York City, how big would that park be in the Heavenly City, okay? And, uh, and so I found out it would be uh, almost 10,000 square miles, okay? And it would, it would be the size of, just to give you a little idea, it would be the size of Jasper National Park, Banff National Park, and then we'll steal one from the States, Yellowstone National Park. If you put them all together, you would have Central Park in the Heavenly City, okay? Okay? That is a whoa thing, okay? That's Central Park. Forget a few jogging trails. This place would have its own mountain chains. It would have dozens of glaciers. You could have thousands of, uh, you know, huge herds of thousands of roaming elk and packs of wolves and grizzly bears in this Central Park in this city. That's how big this city is. It's huge. One continuous city. And of course, it's not just huge. It'll be beautiful. God didn't just build a big city. All artistry and music and creativity ultimately flows from him. He invented it all. So he didn't just build a big city. Look how big this thing is. This thing will be beauty on a scale we can't even imagine. 
I mean, the engineering and architecture will be on a scale that just goes far beyond anything we have ever even scratched the surface here on earth. I mean, right now in Dubai, they've got a tower, whatever, the Burj Mahal or something like that, I forget what it's called, but it's like 3,100 feet. It's like more than 1,000 feet taller than the CN Tower, and it's got floors basically going right to the top, okay? I mean, it's, it's just staggering how big this building is, okay? That kind of engineering will be scoffed at in this city, whose designer and builder was God himself. I mean, he's going to take engineering. We will have buildings in this city that are colossal. I mean, considering that all flesh is going to gather before the Lord on Sabbaths and special holidays to worship, you're talking like millions and millions and millions of people and angels, minimum, maybe billions, who are going to be fitted into some kind of superstructure for worship. We're talking about colossal engineering on a scale way beyond human intelligence. Way, 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 way beyond. And then architecture, again, not just big, but think of aesthetics and beauty, the most well-put-together buildings designed, and natural beauty. Some of you are going, you know, I'm a bit of a country bumpkin. I don't want to live in a big city, okay? This is like no city you've seen. This is going to be a lot more than just concrete. I mean, God is a God of nature. This thing will be littered, perfectly designed with natural beauty, gardens and parks and tree-lined streets, and the most impressive trees and flowers, and the buildings, and everywhere you look, everywhere you look, it'll be pleasing to the eyes. And nature and architecture brought all together in engineering, it'll be spectacular. And actually, when you start to get, you know, much of my life, I spent much of my life, when I was younger, I had a wanderlust. I had to travel here, I had to travel there. And so me and some of my friends traveled all different places. When I was first married, we went different places, and and I just had to go places and see places. I had this inner urge. I have to go. And you know, the more I see what this place is going to be like, the more you just sort of lose it because you realize I'm going to see much better. I don't have to see everything in the world right now because this is going to make anything you see anywhere in the world right now absolutely pale in comparison. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to a family from this church. And uh, they allowed me. I asked them, and, and they said I could share this this story, but they had a son pass away, and uh, he would have been early, early 20s, uh, somewhere in there, and a young man, and he passed away, and, uh, and they shared this story, just powerful story, I mean, I was almost in tears just listening to this in the lobby out there, and, uh, and so it was, his, it was his final day, it was his passing day, it was his death day, and uh, that day the family was gathered uh, around him, and, uh, and he, was, he was sleeping, the, the doctors had actually offered him a whole bunch of morphine, and he actually refused it. He just wanted a tiny bit. He said, I want my mind to be clear for this. I thought, what a testimony. This, this young man loved Jesus, loved him, and he wasn't afraid of death. And, uh, and so they were gathered around, so he, and he was sleeping. He had been sleeping for several hours, and, um, and then at a certain point while he was sleeping, uh, they, they heard him. He started to mutter some words, and they weren't sure first what, he, what was he saying, and, and then eventually they heard him. He, he started saying stuff like, they heard him saying, cool. And, and neat. And he wasn't talking about the, the hospital room. Cool, neat. And, uh, and so quickly, you know, they kind of gathered and made sure everybody was there. And, and he started to, and then he was talking more. And it was beautiful, amazing. He starts talking and he was in that in-between place. He was seeing heaven. And he became a little more animated and he was, he, this is so amazing. And then he started to talk to his, his mom was in a room and he started to tell her, Mom, mom, you've got to come with me. This is, it's the most beautiful. 
It's, it's incredible. Mom, you've you got to come with me. And well, I, I can't come with you right now. No, 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 no. You, you have to come with me. It's amazing. I mean, he was just getting a little glimpse of heaven, and already he didn't want to be here anymore. Hey, Mom, it's, it's amazing. You've got to come with me. I, I can't come with you. Eventually, they had to have a pastor come in and pray for him to just break that so he could leave. And so eventually then what he said is, this is what he said, and I, I just, wow! He said, well, if you guys aren't going to come with me, I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> and, and then sometime after that, he, he slipped away. And you know, as I was listening, I mean, first of all, stories like that, they just give me the shivers. Real people touching a real place. A mind-blowing place. I mean, you get one glimpse of that place. You don't, you don't want to be here anymore. I want to be there. You know, the other thing that just blew me away about that story that I just wanted to highlight here at the end of this message is this. If you love Jesus and walk with Jesus, and you get a revelation of what heaven is like, you don't have to fear death. If you love Jesus and you get a revelation of heaven, you realize that death is nothing to be scared of. Death is an upgrade. Death is a promotion. I'm going to a better place. Now, is it sad for those, those of us who are left behind? Yes. No question. We miss loved ones. I'm not belittling that. But for the person who loves Jesus, going to heaven is not bad. It's not something so many Christians say, you know, and they're bitter. I'm bitter. I'm mad at God. Why hasn't he done this? Why do I have this? Why am I going to die now? Why is so-and-so going to die now? And again, I get that there's pain in all this. I'm not belittling the pain side. But when that hard edge of bitterness comes in, it shows a complete lack of understanding. Heaven's a better place. And none of us here today has to fear dying. Death is not something to be afraid of. Assuming, and that's a big assumption, assuming you love Jesus. Now that is a big assumption. Do you love Jesus and I'm not talking about here now, when I say, do you love Jesus? Everybody goes, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Do you love Jesus? I prayed a prayer 30 years ago, and I haven't talked to him since. But I love him. I show up to church all the time. That's not loving Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Only people who love Jesus have confidence on their death day. Only people who love Jesus have confidence on their death day. Because only people who have a relationship with him know him on their death day. You might have prayed a prayer 20 years ago, 15 years ago, but you've been living a selfish life, worldly life ever since. When you're on your death day facing eternity, you will have uncertainty. Only people, because knowing about Jesus doesn't give you confidence on your death day. And guess what? Every single one of us is going to take a turn on the deathbed. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You're all going to die. Every single one of you here, 100% and me, we're all going to die, okay? Assuming, of course, again, Jesus could come back, and there's a very good possibility of that, but either way, you have to face him, and the question is the same. Do you love Jesus? Every single person here today will have their turn on their deathbed. And when you're on your deathbed, staring eternity in the face, are you going to be one of those who say, if you're not coming with, I'm going anyway because you just want to go? Or are you going to be one of those who is shuddering and insecure? And you know what's the amazing thing to me? 
We can all make choices. We can, every single one of us here can begin to make choices today. Today, you can begin to make choices today. Not, I'm relying on a prayer I prayed 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. You can make choice, a choice today to begin to live in such a way that you are ready for your death day because it will surely come. It will surely come. You know, I, had a, I heard a person once ask, he said, to another person, he said, how far do you think you are away from eternity? I said, I don't know. The guy said, one heartbeat. You and I are never, never more, any second in our lives, we are never more than one heartbeat away from our death day. We're never more than one heartbeat. And so the question is, are you ready? You can make a choice today to begin to live in such a way that you are confident on your death day. You can make a choice today to forgive the people who you've been holding bitterness against. Because Jesus said in the Gospels, if you will not forgive men when they sin against you, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you of your sins. If you take bitterness with you onto your death day, you're going to have some insecurities. But you can make a choice today to forgive. You can make a choice today to set, when you go home tonight, you can set the the alarm on your clock and you can get up a little bit earlier And you can lose a bit of sleep because you say, I have no time to spend time with God and I need my sleep. On your death day, when you're looking eternity in the eyes, are you going to be happy that you had lots of sleep? I'm so glad I had lots of sleep in my life and didn't spend any time with Jesus. Or you can get up and begin to spend time in his word and to listen to him and obey and begin to say, Jesus, I love you. And you can begin today to have a relationship with him because all those who, who walk with him and abide in him, when their death day comes, yes, promotion, I'm not afraid, I'm happy to go. You can make a choice today. You can make a choice today not to quit on your marriage. You can make a choice today to begin to deal with your anger. You can make a choice today that those hidden sins, pornography, an affair, whatever it is, that guilt that's holding you down, you can bring it out in the open. You can confess it. You can repent. You can humble yourself. You can begin to deal with your sins. You can make a choice today to live differently because each one of us will one day have our day. And it's the mercy of God that you and I are still breathing right now because he's still giving you time to repent and build up reward. So here's how I want to finish. I want you all to stand with me. And I just want to pray a prayer of commitment. You can hold out your hands if you like. I'm just going to have one moment of silence. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to you one thing. There's no question. There's one thing that you can do to better prepare. I'm going to ask him to bring it to your mind right now. Heavenly Father, is there one thing? Certainly for each of us, there's one thing. You want us to change. You want us to do. You want us to confess. Just one step. We don't want a laundry list, Lord. In your mercy, don't give us a laundry list. Give us one thing, one step. We want to better prepare. Whatever's coming to your mind right now, you need to write it down. You need to tell someone right after this service. You need to take that step to get ready for your death day. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to number our days. Life is short. And someday we're going to have to face you. Help us to live as if we really believed it. Amen.